Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. I'm Ben Ross. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Got a fantastic guest coming up in just a few minutes. Brody Brazil, 13-time Emmy Award winner, the host of A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. We'll talk to him about the upcoming World Series between the Dodgers and Rays. Also get his thoughts on the A's this offseason, their key free agents, including, of course, Marcus Simeon. And we'll take you behind the scenes with his experiences hosting the show this season. A year unlike any other in Major League Baseball. We're looking forward to that conversation. And yes, as I mentioned, the World Series is here. It'll be the L.A. Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays getting underway tonight, 5.09 p.m. Pacific time. They'll play it at Globe Life Field in Texas, the new home of the Texas Rangers. Dodgers knocking off the Atlanta Braves in seven games. And the Rays, thankfully, eliminating the Houston Cheaters, I mean Astros, in seven games. Man, I uh, I got to admit, I got a little nervous with that one. Astros went down 3-0, everybody thinks it's over, and then all of a sudden, the Rays start to collapse. Thought we were seeing a repeat of the 2004 Red Sox-Yankees series, the only time in Major League Baseball history that a team has overcome an 0-3 series deficit, and thankfully it remains the only time. The Rays finding a way to get it done in Game 7, and so they will move on to the World Series. I'm not going to lie, I was <laughs> going back and forth on Twitter with a lot of Astros fans. I was afraid I was going to fall victim of freezing cold takes after the Astros beat the A's in the ALDS I made a comment. I think it was a reply that basically said that the Astros were not going to make it to the World Series. And uh, it was looking good for the first few games of the ALCS. Got a little bit nervous when all the momentum swung back to the Astros. But the Rays pitching and defense were the keys. Should be a really interesting World Series, too. The Dodgers lineup is obviously just phenomenal. One through nine, those guys can hit and for power too. I mean, there's, there's just no break in that lineup, but don't underestimate this Rays team. I, I know they struggle at times offensively, but that pitching staff is legit. I mean, you throw Tyler glass now followed by Blake Snell in game two, you got Charlie Morton as your game three starter. And we saw how good he was in game seven of the ALCS A's fans know how good he is based on his performance in the wild card game last year. So you look at the starters, and then that, that Tampa bullpen is just nasty. I mean, they bring in hard thrower after hard thrower. And defensively, the Rays are, are as good as anybody, too. So I think most people would agree the Dodgers are the favorites, but I, I don't think by that much. I, I expect to see another long series, and uh, I'm really excited to see the Dodger lineup go against that Rays pitching staff. As for the A's, as we talked about last week, some major decisions for them coming up this offseason. Ten free agents, including Marcus Simeon, Tommy LaStella, Liam Hendricks. Those are certainly the big three, and you lose any of those guys, it's going to hurt. But the A's are going to have to make some tough calls on who to bring back. We'll get into all that with Brody in just a moment, but first want to tell you about betonline.ag. 
The NFL season is now in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. They got all the point spreads this week. And again, as we tell you, it's not just football. Great baseball odds on there, too. I was a little surprised at how big of a favorite the Dodgers are in the World Series. Minus 215, the Rays at plus 185. I really think this could go six or seven games. And with the Rays pitching and defense, I would not be surprised in the slightest if they were able to win the World Series. So that's interesting to me. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, our guest this week is the host of A's Pre and Post Game Live on NBC Sports California. Also the host of the Sharks Pre and Post Game shows on NBC Sports California. Brody Brazil, welcome to the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. Uh, this is the first time I really talked to A's since the season ended. So I uh, guess what? It's been more, more than a week. I think I'm ready. You know what I mean? Like you need that, you need that period of uh, letting it go. I think I'm ready. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. I, I was going to ask you what you've been up to since the A's season came to an end. Have you been watching the ALCS and NLCS games or taking a little bit of time away from baseball? All of the above. Um, not watching games on um, a pitch-by-pitch basis. Maybe a little bit here, a little bit there. Keeping up on Twitter. Obviously keeping up on the the progression of both series in the AL and NLCS. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have too many preferences after the A's were eliminated other than um, hoping that a team with a losing record in the regular season did not get the World Series. That that was the case, although that series sure was sure was interesting. I mean, you know, the Astros like and again, just how they relate to the A's. Um, lost lost seven out of 10 to the A's in the regular season for whatever that's worth. And then sweep the twins in two games out of the wild card round. And then, you know, build a commanding lead and and don't really ever let the A's into that ALDS series. Let's be honest. I mean, the A's won a game and I think we should probably later talk about, you know, what, what is that? Like the A's finish, like, is it satisfactory? Is it worse than what you expect? Anyway, but for the Astros to get past that and then um, almost complete the reverse sweep. Um, that was interesting. And I also think I'm not saying this like it's my um, it's my sentiment, but I think a lot of fans out there realize now that getting one game and one win away from a World Series and then not getting there after that comeback, that may hurt as much as anything. And if that's what people are out for redemption, um, you know, they got it. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't, you know, the the Braves and Dodgers. I didn't really have a a rooting interest there. I think the Braves, the Braves are emerging again. Uh, I, th- I think for Atlanta, a team that kind of went dormant for for a lot of years. That's a that's a cool sign. And um, look, in the end, the top two teams with the Rays and Dodgers, they were the best two teams in the sixty games, and here they are in the World Series. So yeah, no, going back to the Astros. I, I have to admit, I got nervous watching that series just because you know, I think most of the baseball world was probably rooting against the Astros uh, for for lots of reasons. Yeah, and I just I think Ben, it's it's to me, it's the like the losing record part in the regular season 
you know, and, and it, I know that's the way with 16 teams, that was a possibility. And um, I'm, I'm just here to say more than anything else that I'll, I'll put the cheating aside. I'll put the fact that they didn't go through their punishment necessarily aside. Uh, I think that would have been the one glaring thing had they been in this world series. Yeah. Well, and, and what was amazing and, and it was something that I tweeted during the A's series is, you know, clearly they, they just, became a completely different team in the postseason. And whether that was due to injuries, whether that was due to them sort of understanding they didn't have to be at their best in the regular season because of the new playoff format. And really all they had to do was hold off the Mariners and the Angels to get into the playoffs. Yeah. And, and they, I think they kind of had a, a strong sense they'd be able to do that. But it, it was amazing. I have to admit, heading into the postseason, I didn't see the Astros as a threat. I didn't see them as, as the same team that they have been over the, the past few years and uh, boy, that lineup kind of came back to life as, as the A's found out and the Rays too. And fortunately, the Rays were able to hold them off and uh, get to the World Series. Yeah, I mean, do you do you go back and wonder because I do um, and th this is not this is not to suggest that anything was out to get the A's because um, I didn't even really realize this until the game started happening at Dodger Stadium. But um, I mean, like I said, the A's in, in 10 matchups, they beat them seven out of 10 times and two of the three Astros victories happened in back-to-back -back fashion in seven inning doubleheaders. So it wasn't even a real legit nine inning game, two of those wins. Um, but I, I'm, it was just the home run derby aspect of all those games at Dodger Stadium. And, and that's why it's even hard to put your finger on, you know, not, not just how the A's lost. I think there's a couple reasons. Um, bullpen was part of it overall pitching was part of it and and the A's kind of going silent in latter innings with their bats was part of it too but I mean it's hard to, to but Houston also gave up a ton of home runs you know yeah. so there wasn't one glaring strength versus weakness that determined that series it was literally a track meet and the Astros passed the baton a little bit more well, and that sort of leads me into, yeah, what I want to talk about with the A's. It, it is such a hard series to to judge. And to, as you said, it, it was so strange with all the home runs. And when you just, when you look at the A's season as a whole, and, and you hinted at this earlier, how do you, how do you judge their season? Because they did some really good things. They won the division for the first time in, in I think, seven years. They won their first playoff series since 2006. And that was a huge step, you know, putting an end to that, that losing streak in the winner-take-all game. So getting by the White Sox was big. The offense was phenomenal in, in the Astros series. Now, clearly they, they had some opportunities maybe they missed and they left some runners on base, but run production was not the issue. It, it was more right. the pitching, and who knows how much of that was the conditions at Dodger Stadium and the ball flying out of the park. I don't know, just overall, how do you judge this A's season and uh, what do you think it means for them moving forward? I think the, the very first thing like has to be the disclaimer that this season was not only weird, right? In, in terms of the 60 games and the schedule and even for the A's dealing with a positive COVID case that made them have 26 games in their final 25 days of the schedule, like all, all that aside, I think the, the personal aspect of what the players went through and the uncertainty of showing up to this summer camp where they didn't know if teams were instantly all going to infect each other or cross-pollinate with teams and in infect each other that way. And um, they didn't know about traveling. And it was all very you know, scary from the beginning. Throughout the season, they couldn't have meetings as normal. They couldn't go in the video room like a lot of them want to do. It, it, it was challenging from the start. 
And I think the bottom line is what I'm saying is not to, but they all were against that, right? So what I'm saying is we're grading on a curve. We're grading on some kind of weird curve to begin with. So once you establish that, then I think it's the realization that the A's in the regular season, if it's less than expectations or meeting expectations or slightly above, I think it's either meeting to slightly above. Winning the West like they did, um, 36 wins translates directly into a 97-win season if you extrapolate it, uh, extrapolate it uh, to 162. So I think it's that's that's got to be equal to or greater than expectations. In terms of the playoffs, I don't know that it was a step back because they did get past Chicago, and I think they obviously even put up a, a, a fight against Houston, but I also don't think it was a step ahead. Um, so I, I think it was really not any steps backwards or forwards. Now, that may be disappointing for some people because of the way the roster was built this year. Uh, this was kind of a peak expectation season. I guess that's the point is that um, it wasn't a step forward or step back. But because of that, I can see why the frustration does exist. That's interesting. And so with that being said, and, and look, the A's postseason issues have been well documented. And the thing is, in baseball, you know, making the playoffs three straight years and, and winning 97 games, as you said, they were on pace for 97 again for three yeah. straight years is an accomplishment. And that's hard to yeah. do. Uh, and this A's team has been in the playoffs as much as anybody over the past decade. Um, so what do you see as... What do they need to do to get over that hump? I mean, I, I guess that's the big question. It, are they on the right track, or do you think that they need to make some changes? I think this year, in terms of, you know, and that was another complexity, is the trade deadline, for example. And how much can you add? How much do you really want to throw in this year as, like, the go-for-it year? Um, and I think getting Mike Miner and Tommy LaStella, holy smokes. Like, if we're going to get into individuals later. Like, I'm on the, the re-sign LaStella campaign already. But, I mean, um, you know, but I've also seen, we've also seen heck a year like, you know, 2014 where you really go for it and you trade Yohannes Cespedes and, and that might have, have swung the pendulum too far the other way. Um, so I, th I think that big, dynamic, splashy move that sets you up for the playoffs, that, that might also you know, it, it can go, it can go both ways. So to take the next step, to be honest, I think a large part of it, as crazy as that sounds, is keeping a lot of the, the pieces you have in place and rolling the dice with them again next year. I honestly think that there is more from this group. I think they're capable of it. I think the older they get, the better they get. Um, a lot of times in sports, it's that window, right? It's like, all right, well, how many years does this group have to be good before they get old? And they're not able to perform. It's like the reverse window with this group. How long can you keep them together so that they can escalate, ascend, and rise together? Um, and 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 hopefully you'll ultimately ultimately arrive at that one year where it all works out. So I to me, keeping the band together, if if I'm gonna say like what's the next step, um, that's it. Now, I don't think you know, we could look at different aspects of the team. You know, the offense hitting 220-something this year, um, it, that probably has to be a little bit better just, just to round things out. I know they win with the homer, um, but I think you're going to have to balance that. And I also think, too, um, you know, their bullpen regular season was solid. I think their rotation um, probably did, as a group, probably did not achieve everything they hoped for this year. 
So that, that would be another area. But, you know, obviously with a guy like Mike Fires as a free agent, um, we don't know the the real severity of A.J. Puck's injury. Um, you know, and, and I think what Manaya is on one more arbitration year. So there's some, there's some questions there about how long, what you could do with that group and how you can reinforce that group. See, that's how I see it, too. I, I look at starting pitching as uh, the, the real key here because you're right. The, the offense, I think, underperformed a little bit this season, but I, I still think that, that this is a group that can hit, and I think they showed it in the playoffs. I mean, even the home runs were down this year in, in the regular season for the A's. And look, part of that was it's a 60-game season. It was a strange year. I don't know how much stock you want to put into that. Um, I think this is a lineup that can hit, and they're young, and they're going to keep getting better. So I'm not too worried about that. To me, starting pitching was a little bit of a disappointment this year, and you know it's hard to say that because it, it was a lot. Of, it's a lot of young guys. I mean, I think Jesus Lazardo is going to achieve big things. Maybe, maybe I got a little bit too impatient and expected him to be, you know, an all-star type performer his rookie year. But you know, you look at the stuff. If he stays healthy, I think it's only a matter of time until he's one of the best pitchers in the game. Uh, yeah. So you look at someone like him, you look at the emergence of Chris Bassett over the past few years, and, and oh, he's, he's still got another arbitration year, which is huge. Um, so you bring him back. I think Frankie Montas is an, interesting, is an interesting case because we've seen what he's capable of doing. Even in the first half of this year, he was really good, and then he kind of struggled the second half, and he was sort of inconsistent. But, I mean, the stuff is still there. Uh, and then you mentioned, uh, you know, Sean Manaya is another guy who's coming back. So uh, assuming they, they tender him, uh, he's arbitration eligible, assuming they want to bring him back, which I can't see why they wouldn't. Yeah. So I think starting pitching will be improved. And, and I think, I think the fact that they continue to get more experienced, a lot of these guys that I just referenced are young. You talked about AJ Puck. I mean, boy, how, how nice would it be if he could stay healthy? That's, that's the big question with him. Um, but th that just adds even more. So I think the potential is there. So I think I'm sort of on the, on the same page where I, I think this group is talented enough and will become even more experienced and better to achieve bigger things. Right. Uh, like you said, just keep them together. I mean, I could I, just going on some of the names you mentioned there, the ones that pop out to me, and this is no disrespect to those I don't mention, but uh, Chris Bassett, Frankie Montas. I mean, from the position player perspective, Sean Murphy, Ramon Laureano, all these names, even a, a Tommy Listella. My point is the more you see these guys and the more that they take the next steps, the more you like them, the more valuable, valuable they are to the team. Like I'm saying, it's, it's the reverse window. You know, it's not how long can you keep these guys together because they're declining. <laughs> it's how long can you keep these guys together because they are literally ascending together. And, and let's be honest, Ben, keeping them together might be the hardest part of all of this and it's not in the control of virtually everyone <laughs> people from the outside even people on the inside a part of this team it's not it's not their decision making process so and it's it's also I want to point this out too with no minor league season in 2020 how are how are all these teams going to truly evaluate uh, and reevaluate the talent they have in their pipeline I mean, you're talking about now players who will not have, have played competitive baseball. I, I'm sorry, but, you know, the, the stuff they're doing in Arizona right now or even the stuff at the alternate training sites, they didn't even have enough players to, to have a full game with umpires and, you know, on a daily basis. So um, I just I really think it's going to be a tough decision making process, 
uh, process for so many teams based on what they don't know anymore. They have track records, they have scouts, they have past ideas, but when you put everybody on the shelf for a year, um, that has to change some things. That's a really good point. Yeah, and you know, we didn't even talk about Matt Chapman. All signs are that you know his hip surgery went well and he should be good to go uh, for the start of spring training in 2021. So, you know, how big a difference does he make? I mean, clearly, defensively, the guy's the best defender in the American League, maybe in all of baseball, and he makes a huge difference. And then his bat in the lineup, too. So you talk about him, you talk about Matt Olson, who, you know, he struggled for a lot of the year, but he still was able to hit, I think, like 14 home runs in in the 60 games. And, you know, I'm not worried about his bat. So I I think offensively and defensively, the talent is there. I I totally agree. I I think, you know, too, the the way the group is structured and – I'm pretty sure we were going to get to the Marcus conversation. I don't want to get ahead of you here, <laughs> but I feel like that's like when you, when you talk about Chapman and Olsen and, you know, it's funny over all the years, well, basically from 17 to 18, even into 19, I think most everybody was saying, all right, Chapman, Olsen, resign those guys. I'm like, hold on, hold on. They have a lot more time. Marcus is the one that's really ahead of them and emerging kind of more than them. And I think what an interesting year. I don't want to, I'll let you direct that part wherever you want, but all before you get there, um, I think I think, you know, to me, Marcus. Now we we talked about players, you know, taking the next steps and growing together. Mark the position Marcus plays and the role that he has on the team, as well as the same situation for Liam Hendricks as the closer. Like those are two roles, shortstop and closer, that are. I don't know how many internal candidates the A's have right now that they'd feel great about. I don't know. I mean, it, it could be, but I don't know. And I also don't know what the market is like to go out and find somebody else to do, to do that job. That's why I'm thinking, you know, especially those two in terms of like, you know, keeping the band together, um, those two are at the top of the list. And again, there's a lot of names out there. I am not omitting them at all right now. I just think that those two, because of their positions, are a little bit more unique. A hundred percent. And you know, it, it's tough because I don't know if they're going to be able to keep both. Um, you look at you look at Liam Hendricks and how dominant he's been really the last two years. Yeah. He's a guy who, who will probably see teams throw some big-time money at them. Everybody needs help at the end of the bullpen. Um, we'll get to him in a moment. I want to stick with Marcus Simeon because you sort of said a lot of the important things that, that he brings to the team just with his position. But then you kind of you delve further in. On and off the field, this guy seems to be so valuable. You know, first, he's a local guy, right? He, he's from the Bay Area. Uh, he's great in the community. He's a leader on this team. Um, he, he just seems to get better every single year, too. He, you know, you, you listen to Bob Melvin talk about him, and he, he's never seen a harder worker. Uh, and, and obviously, the talent is there, too. And he's only 30 years old. That's the other thing. Like, I get that 30 is kind of considered on the older end in baseball these days with with all the young, you know, low to mid-20-something talent there is. But I still see Marcus Simeon as a guy who's still right in his prime. My opinion is you got to find a way to to keep Marcus Simeon. As far as ranking all of of the decisions they've got to make this offseason, where do you rank bringing back Marcus Simeon? I think just to to tell the quick backstory, too, you know, when, when they got him from Chicago and all that they went through to help him develop, to help him be an everyday shortstop, 
to your point, all the extra hours with Ron Washington over the years of 2016, 17 into 18 into being an MVP candidate in 2019. Um, we, we know he's got pop. We know he's a leadoff hitter. We know he's one of the top three hitters. We know that um, two years ago that he was batting ninth, like kind of how Sean Murphy was this year. And he was thriving in that role too. Um, as crazy as that, that seemed, but um, I just think if you're going to go through the feel good story of picking this player, seeing something in him, believing in him, sticking with him. And then now ultimately it comes time and he's, he's proven exactly what he's capable of. And I don't think this regular season was his best work. I, th I think he would agree with that. I think we also know that he was dealing with that injury on his rib cage on his left side there. Um, so probably playing through some discomfort the entire time. Uh, again, yeah, I think he looked, he looked fine in the playoffs. <laughs> um, but even though, even if he wasn't, but why would you go through all that and then just not retain what you hoped had happened? This is the A's best case scenario to get this guy, have him do exactly what you thought he was capable of. And now mm -hmm. you can, you can reap the benefits of that. All you have to do is hang on to him. Now, easier said than done. I know there's going to be some other competition out there, but you would have to think if the A's dealt fairly open uh, fairly and honestly and openly with Marcus that all things he's comfortable with, all things he knows about his teammates, um, how many other teams are in the contention category like the A's are of all the major league clubs, you know? So you'd have to think you're a front runner there. I want to turn to the bullpen now. You know, we talked uh, briefly about Liam Hendricks and you know, the, the A's bullpen was so good this year. It, Bullpens, I find, are always so hard to, to predict. I mean, they were great in 2018, kind of a down year last year, in 2019 for the A's. And then they bounced back in 2020, and they're phenomenal. There certainly could be some changes, because it's not just Liam Hendricks, uh, who's a free agent. You also you look at uh, Joaquim Soria, Yusmero uh, Petit, TJ McFarland. Um, you know, these were all guys who were valuable setup men um, in, in the bullpen. And I, I'm just curious how, how you look at that. How, how do you judge the A's bullpen and, and the guys that I referenced and um, their value and, and the importance of bringing them back, obviously Liam being the most important? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the, the first thing I look at is who are, your, who are your plus guys and then who are the rest of your guys? And, and that's not a disrespect. I mean, it's just the roles that they've been used in. Um, and it's... And it's not that you don't need those other arms because you do, especially in situations where you don't, you know, you're not ahead and you don't want to destroy your bullpen for the next game, but identifying who are your plus guys first. And then also realizing that in retention here, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. Now, this is a weird year. When I say that in terms of the bullpen, there's, if you go down that list and, and especially the ones you named there of, of free agents, there's not a name on there where I'm, I'm already thinking to myself, you know what, we can, we can pass without that person, right? It's, it's, it's crazy and it's rare that you, you look at a list and you're not, you're not really eager to let any of these birds fly. <laughs> but you also um, pretty much have to understand that it's not going to be, it's not going to be an option to keep everybody. It never is. And um so I, th I think you're going to have to figure out the happy medium, like Petit and Soria, okay? Comparable in a sense of trustworthiness, the roles that they've played. Maybe Petit is more of your, your you know, your, your cleanup guy to, to get you out of, the, to finish what the starter did. 
get you through the fifth and sixth or sixth and seventh. And maybe Soria is a, a little bit of a later guy, but I mean, it may come down to, and I don't, I don't want to hypothesize here who gets kept and how much and this and that, but I, I think the way you have to look at it is say, you know, okay. in, in those two guys cases, you realistically, you may only be able to keep one. And when it comes down to the decision-making process, it's what they're going to get elsewhere. How old are they? Where do they stand on their, uh, where, where do they stand in, in projections? So it's, all I'm saying is you have to, you have to really change the expectations for the A's and understand that um, that was a hard part about letting 2020 pass is that you, you liked so many aspects of this team, especially that bullpen, but you're not going to be able to have that group once again. That's, as you said, I mean, that's, those are the decisions every team has to make. That's, you know, that's baseball, that's sports. You're usually not able to keep everybody. And that's why the executives, uh, that's why they have the tough job that they've got. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where the A's go with that. And I mean, obviously the good news is they do have some other good arms in that bullpen too. You talk about guys like Jake Diekman, who's back yeah. under contract and J.B. Wendelkin, who's uh, looking, you know, he had a great year. Um, playoffs notwithstanding, I think. He got a little unlucky, and you know his stuff is still really good. So I think they do have some good options in the bullpen, but those are definitely uh, some big decisions that they're going to have to make. You referenced Tommy Lastella. I, I think the A's already knew how good he was just from watching him with the Angels, but it's different when you see him up close, how, how valuable he is at the top of that lineup. And he's another guy who's a free agent. Um, and you know I know the A's have expressed interest in bringing him back. What are your thoughts on on their decision with La Stella and how how valuable is he at the top of that lineup, especially as a left-handed bat? So I think a couple things are at play here, and, and one of them is stuff that none of us saw this year that because of the pandemic, because, you know, clubhouses aren't open, because the team was so so isolated. But when I talked to Bob Melvin, probably... I want to say it was between the wild card series and the ALDS. We talked about Tommy Listella specifically, and it, it I think the question was more veered towards on the field stuff and production. And he actually wanted to make it really clear that in a short time, Tommy had come in, had really fit in with the group, had felt comfortable. They liked him. He had already kind of opened up personality wise. So before any of the on field stuff, I feel like that in itself says something about him what the team what the, what his teammates think about him so i want to add that in before anything else now on the field and to your point like the guy is an on-base machine we know about his infrequent strikeout uh characteristic that is ridiculous he's you know guy strikes out once every maybe 25 at bats something like that um on on average and i also think yes top of the order guy he's the second baseman that they've been hoping for for a very long time and he kind of counteracts the, I mean, he goes with the the theme of A's players to have really good at-bats, to have high on-base percentage. But even when he makes outs, like, the, you know, when the A's, a lot of times they go in these ruts of striking out 12, 13, 14 times a game. Those are just not productive outs. And the point being that Tommy Listella, even when he makes outs, he puts the ball in play. He makes productive outs. So uh, I, I think, you know, I've, when I mentioned before that Marcus and Liam were, were clear cut, um, you know, clear cut, easy to see, got to resign these guys. You know, I, I easily put Tommy in that same category. And I also think too, 
when they traded for him, it was kind of like it, it, there there's this there's this situation in sports where when you go up against a player and he just he is so annoying in the most um how do I say it most respectful way like in the most uh, admirable way he's annoying because he's so he was so good with the Angels in all ten games. It's crazy that he played against the A's ten times this year and then did all he did with them after that. But I when they traded for him, I was almost like that is a I'm pumped about this move. It's not the biggest one the A's could make, but I know this guy. I know yeah. what it's like to go up against him, and I'm glad the A's got him. And remember, this was all well before the Chapman injury. Now, did the A's have a little insight that maybe Matt Chapman was ailing all season because he was? Um, you know, the hip the hip didn't just like crop up overnight. Um, so maybe was that a little bit in advance? Sure. Um, I think, you know, the Pender injury was a little bit more, the hamstring was more spur of the moment. But when they were down Pender and Chapman, and and not just to get Jake Lamb, but to have, remember, if you didn't have Lamb, then Lestella would maybe have been playing third. It, it gets dicey, but to grab Lestella when they did was so huge. And now here's the opportunity to keep a player like that around. Again, you've got the pieces in place. Why search around? if you know you're going to be satisfied with that player. That's great insight. And I, I, I think I completely agree. Um, real quick before I let you go, and I want to thank you again for, for taking the time and uh, coming, coming on the podcast today. I, I just wanted to ask you uh, one final question, just about your experiences this season. We've, we've talked about how weird it was for everybody, for the players, for the fans. Uh, you know, it was it was a little disappointing. It was great to have baseball in any form, but obviously it was, it was a year unlike any other. How tough was it for you to not be at the ballpark, not be in the clubhouse? How different of an experience was this for you? Because I think you did pretty much all the shows uh, from your home studio. From this very room. We did, <laughs> we did more than 100 a, a pre- and post-game shows from my house. Um, yeah, no, I, and I, I, I really think, thank you, Ben, for not only having me, but, you know, giving the opportunity to speak on this a little bit, because I look, I, I enjoy bringing the product to the viewers, you know, and I enjoy doing an interview with a player that hopefully humanizes them and gives you helps answer some of the questions that that every fan might have, you know, so I try and be that conduit. And yeah, 2020 with with when I say no access, I mean, I, I have maybe some personal relationships with, you know, players and Bob Melvin. And so the communication still existed, don't get me wrong. Um, but to not be able to, to translate that on television, um, it was frustrating in a sense, but I also understood that in the general scope of the world, it, it's not the most important, important thing, you know, if that's a small sacrifice to make. Um, I also think from, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that NBC allowed me to um, do this from home when we were, t were setting up the season um, for a lot of different reasons. I just felt it was in in my personal best interest, my family's best interest, and really the network's best interest, um, that I could be on the air every single day. And I think I ended up doing all but maybe five games total. I, I could not, it could, could take myself out of the equation of, of potentially, you know, ha getting sick, giving it to anybody else, have a child at home too. So I, won't, I was very mindful of that in my, my own family and, and, and parents and grandparents. So it's also the weirdest thing ever to, begin hosting a television show from a, a room in your house. Like the first time you do it, <laughs> done it thousands of times in a normal studio, 
But when you do it from home, it takes a few times to really feel like, okay, this is the new normal. Um, so it was very weird. All the points you mentioned too, is it was, we tried to do the best with what we could. Um, and I think it just, it really makes you appreciate if and when, hopefully sooner than later, things are back to normal, that you won't take it for granted, that you won't let a day pass where you don't appreciate it. And um, I echo the sentiments of most players I talk to at the latter end of the season. Like this was only 60 games, but this felt like 260 games. It felt way longer than 162. Um, and even me personally, you know, uh, just being kind of on this little island by myself, being my own lighting guy and engineer and, and all that stuff. And again, I got a lot of great support, but I, I felt their I felt their pain in that way. Like this is really a grind. At the same respect, I miss the hell out of it right now. I loved every moment of it. And I wouldn't, if I did it again, I would do the exact same thing. And I'm, I'm sure they all feel the same way player wise too. So it was, uh, I, as you know, it was different. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy it, but I, it wasn't always the most natural thing, but, but looking back, um, I remember the days of May and June where we had no clue this would even exist. So I bring myself back to that and realizing how thankful we all should be to have that soundtrack and the, the, vi the visuals of baseball all, all summer long. Absolutely. Echo those sentiments completely. And, and you guys did a great job and we enjoyed watching. Look forward to seeing you hopefully back at the ballpark and back in the studio next year. And, and hopefully the A's will make a, uh, their World Series run next year in 2021. Well, Brody, thank you so much for coming on the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. Enjoy the offseason. Enjoy the World Series first, then the offseason, and we hope to see you back at the park next year. Dan, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I would love to see you soon. Make sure you're following Brody on Twitter, at BrodyNBCS, and you can follow me on Twitter as well, at Ben Ross Tweets. We really appreciate Brody coming on the Believe in A's podcast. Some really good insight from a guy who, man, he's been following the A's for probably about as long as anybody out there. And as we discussed, some really interesting decisions coming up this offseason for Oakland. I'm with Brody. I think this team has the talent to win a World Series. It's just a matter of getting some of the younger guys some experience, getting them all playing their best baseball at the same time. And of course, most importantly, you got to keep the group together. That's going to be the big question this offseason. So we'll see if the A's can do it. Of course, the World Series getting underway tonight. Dodgers and Rays game one from Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. I expect this one to go seven games. My official prediction, Dodgers in seven. But I'll tell you what, I could certainly see this one going either way. That Rays team is legitimate, particularly when it comes to their pitching staff. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. We'll be coming at you next Tuesday with a new episode. World Series could be over if it ends in four or five. I don't expect that to happen. I think we're still going to have baseball next week. Make sure you download and subscribe wherever you get your pods. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.